This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The metaverse is supposed to be a brave new digital world, allowing you to make connections regardless of race, gender, or any other unique traits. Yet in a new documentary about making VR relationships, you still see some of the baggage of the real world carry over to the virtual one. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me to discuss this is Joan Salzman, our digital media expert, who's got the latest piece in our Making the Metaverse series. Welcome, Joan. Hi, Roger. So tell me about this documentary, We Met in Virtual Reality. So We Met in Virtual Reality, it's the first feature-length film shot completely in VR. It's not a, it's on HBO. It's not a VR experience. It's not something you have to put a headset on to experience. Um, it's a, in, otherwise it's a completely standard documentary um, that's on HBO and HBO Max now. The idea of it is that it, the tagline of it is the setting is virtual, the connections are real. And so the movie seeks to show instances of profound human connection that people have made solely by interacting in VR. Um, the, the movie does a really great job of showing that, but as a viewer, as I, it premiered at Sundance and now it's being released by HBO, um, as a viewer watching it, I was sort of equally moved by these these stories of love and connection, especially as we're in this conversation about how the metaverse is our future. That was really wonderful to see um, and watch. But at the same time, it was also hard to ignore some of the kind of like screwed up things that you're going to see by virtue of the fact that this movie is entirely shot in, in VR chat. It's a social VR app. And, you know, like imagine if, if, if a mo- if a movie or something was entirely filmed on Twitter, you can imagine that no matter how dedicated that movie is to showing instances of profound love and connection, there's still going to be some weird stuff going on around the edges. And so I wrote a story to kind of examine some of the weird stuff going on. Okay, well, we can get into the weird stuff. Uh, I guess before we get into that, though, I mean, talk a little bit about, you know, like you said, you you sort of first learned about this product during Sundance. Uh, I'm curious what stuck out for you, and, and maybe talk a little bit about some of the relationships formed in the documentary. Yeah, there's um, a few pairs of people um, and uh, communities, I guess, that are shown in the film. Um, but two, two of them that, uh, that I sort of highlighted for the purposes of, of this article, there's um, a pair of exotic dancing sex, de- sex demons. Their names are, their handles, their screen names are Is Your Boy and Dragonheart. Um, and they're uh, two people that met because they both perform virtual exotic dance. Um, and they sort of fostered a friendship that became a relationship. And then eventually they became virtual chat married. They had a ceremony, um, which is shown in the film. Um, so there's there, the, the movie shows sort of, you know, romantic couples that met in VR. 
Um, but it also shows other sorts of meaningful connections. Like they, it, it talks, it, one of the main protagonists, protagonists is a woman who goes by Jenny on VRChat. And she's a interpreter in the Helping Hands VRChat community, which is a community of people that are deaf, hard of hearing, and also hearing dedicated to learning um, sign language through through virtual reality. Um, so we spend a lot of time with Jenny and also with another one of the teachers and interpreters at, or one of the teachers in the Helping Hands community whose name is, is Ray and sort of took Jenny by the hand to help her um, become a leader within the Helping Hands community. So the, the the movie deals with romantic, you know, when we talk about, you know, we met in VR, the, the kind of odd, immediate instinct is to think about people that romantically met in VR, but it, it goes beyond that too, into other communities and other kinds of friendships and relationships. Yeah, well, I do want to take the relationship between Is Your Boy and Dragonheart first, because they're, like you said, the, the relationship sort of set in the orbit of exotic dance uh, and, and sex demons. I mean, what was that like? <laughs> to see unfold? Well, the movie has a TVMA rating. Um, and I think it's mostly because of the the scenes that take place with exotic dance. Now that's not to say there's, it's not, it's not pornography. <laughs> it's not, you know, TV Skinamax, it's TVMA, but it, um, but I, I mean, if the question is, what is that like to see? It's like watching, you know, like, there are other, there's traditional, quote unquote, flatty media, like television shows that take place in strip clubs, like P-Valley on Stars is one that's getting a lot of attention. Um, and so, you know, there it's, it's scenes in a strip club, basically. Um, okay, a virtual one, sure. <laughs> a virtual strip club, yeah. Well, I, one of the issues you bring up there is, is there sort of the idea of, or of hypersexualization, particularly of the female avatars and, uh, it's obviously something we see a lot in, in video games, but we're seeing that now carrying over the VR world. Just, just talk about how that is exhibited in We Met in VR. Yeah, you know, in in We Met in VR, the same sort of, you know, things that are normalized in our offline culture and things that are taboo in our offline cu- culture those all carry over into virtual reality too. So in in this movie that's showing this VR chat society community, um, there are lots and lots of hypersexualized female avatars. It's really important for <laughs> boobs, for breasts to be able to jiggle in the world of, of VR chat, especially in the world of exotic dance and VR chat. Um, but that mostly has to do with the sense that, you know, like breast jiggling and hypersexualization of female bodies is very normalized in our culture, in the world of video games and in other media. But it's not equally hypersexualized for male avatars or men in our in our culture. And so the my story sort of looks at like, well, what is it, what is equity in what does it mean for there to be inequity in sexualization of images in a movie or in virtual reality? And also it raises the question, you know, as we're in this time where people are talking about how the metaverse is our future, what does that, how will we look at ourselves and how will we treat each other when, you know, like the phenomenon of, of Instagram face becomes a full body embodiment and also can just be like wildly outrageous 
when it's in virtual reality? How are we going to treat other people and how are we going to look at ourselves when those are our bodies in the metaverse? Yeah, that that's an interesting point too because the metaverse is still really in its infancy, but we're already seeing these instances. I mean, does that how does that bode for where the metaverse goes? Or do you think this is just sort of like growing pains before I guess it matures, so to speak? No, yeah, I definitely don't think it's growing pains before it matures because that would, I mean, the presumption is that maturity means um, more equity. And I don't think, you know, the course of history has shown that like, you know, there's like, there's like the Martin Luther King quote about how like the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. That's true. But it's also true that like the arc of history is long. And so when we're talking about maturity towards, you know, greater equity. I think that especially the development of increasingly online culture has shown that like, even if you, as as online cultures grow mature, they don't necessarily become more equitable. They don't necessarily become less toxic. In fact, you know, sometimes they, especially, and VR is the same way, especially when online communities allow anonymity you can see that being a liberation from etiquette that keeps etiquette and mores and rules and just, you know, a level of sort of, I respect you, you respect me, decency that prohibits some of the stuff that you can see on Twitter or in VR from happening to you right when you're in front of another human being in real life. Got it. Switching gears to the other relationship, because you you also deal, you discuss one that really deals with accessibility and kind of where it still falls short in VR. Talk a little bit about that instance or that example. Yeah, that's largely through this movie documenting the Helping Hands community, Jenny and and Ray. Um, and and that's those those scenes in the film are really I, I would say some of them are the are most powerful of the film for sure. Um, but the film also doesn't even explicitly discuss the fact that, you know, this is this Helping Hands community is designed to facilitate more awareness and um, relationships among people that are deaf, hard of hearing, and hearing, so that more people can talk and communicate in sign. The problem is in virtual reality, people just speaking specifically about American sign language, virtual reality can't capture all of the hand shapes that you need to use ASL. Like, for example, in ASL, the signs for R, M, N, and T, you can't do them in virtual reality, at least not in the in the virtual reality of VR chat and pretty much anywhere else. Because anything that requires fingers or thumbs crossing, it's really difficult for hard VR hardware at this stage right now to pick that up because of what's known as occlusion. If you're if you're blocking one part of something with another thing, it's hard for the cameras to be able to capture that. And so people that maybe look at the problem generously would say like, well, it's a tough technological problem. Occlusion is a tough technological problem. Being able to cross fingers, you know, for mainstream people, that, that that's not such a big deal. But the flip side of that is for people who already have barriers to entry in a lot of places, having a barrier to be able to fully communicate is another barrier that, you know, if, if VR is going to do better than we have in the real world, that's something that should be 
discussed should, you know, developers should see as a priority. Um, and beyond that, not only just helping a community that has to deal with a lot of barriers to entry, um, you know, talking about a metaverse, like everybody wants to understand how physical mu movement and gesture can be an interface. Like everyone wants to know what's that going to be like when we are moving digital objects with our hands and communicating with gestures, gestural inputs. Who knows that better than people that are fluent and speak in sign? And so, which is all just to kind of bring it back to this point that the fact that you can't do some things like cross your fingers in VR, the fact that there aren't captions in VR, that that's really far behind, speaks to the fact that the issues that are really pressing for a marginalized community need to be prioritized. And it also speaks to the fact that when you prioritize those needs, you're helping everybody. You make things better. You, If you figure out that, then you're going to be 90% of the, if you figure out captions, you're 90% of the way to translations, and then you have a bigger audience. If you figure out occlusion so you can cross fingers, you already are a step ahead in figuring out gestural inputs. And so I, I can't even really remember what your first, uh, what your actual question was. I think it was open-ended, so that's why I went off, but... Um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, and that's a really good point about like the the kind of features that um, that help specific communities actually end up being more universally embraced features. Like I always point to the idea of, you know, those curb cutouts and sidewalks, you know, they're, they're designed for handicap access, but you know, if you've got a stroller, a kid with in a stroller, I mean, that's super handy. There's the universal applications to some of this stuff. Um, in terms of the, the accessibility experts you sort of talk, you talk to about this, I'm curious what they say about how to bridge that gap, how, how to make, accessibility or these kinds of priorities more top of mind for the folks actually building the metaverse? Yeah, well, one of the one of the most direct ways to to affect change there from the people that I that I spoke with is there need to you know, there's a phrase in accessibility advocacy and advocacy for people with disabilities, which is nothing about us without us, um, which sometimes advocates even broad and to say nothing without us. And that's what it needs to be. Like the, 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 the reason that a lot of people point to that these things aren't a priority is because people with disabilities aren't in positions of authority at big tech companies. Um, there are some, you know, some of the people I talked with say people there, are, you know, I talked to some people who work in XR uh, development, who one of my sources builds worlds in Meta Horizon Worlds, which is another social VR app owned um, and operated by Meta, which is obviously like the dominant force in consumer VR. Um, you know, he's working on things like this and he's talking to other devs who are hearing and they say, you know, like when I bring this up with my boss, it just, it doesn't make its way up the food chain or when it does make its way up the food chain, there are more pressing things that. And, and you know, I also got that response from companies when I reached out to VR Chat and said, like, well, hey, why can't, why aren't there captions in VR Chat, and why can't people cross their fingers in VR Chat? And the response is, and I can appreciate it, is that like those are things we'd like to have, but like a lot of things we haven't ruled out. It's kind of the nature of live development. You know, they can't do everything. They have to decide what they work on. But I think advocates for people with disabilities and advocates for accessibility would say. The choices that you make reflect your values and 
maybe accessibility should be higher and more prioritized as one of your values. Right. Uh, lastly, just, you know, in viewing this documentary, I'm, I'm curious if it changed your mind or, you know, change your thoughts on, on the metaverse. You know, it didn't, watching the documentary didn't change my mind about the metaverse. That said, I have spent more time in VR and XR than a normal Cuban person, probably, definitely. Um, I think that, like, if it's going to be coming out on HBO, I'm sure there's a lot of people that have the opportunity to see it that have never tried virtual reality at all. And it might change their mind about what a metaverse could be for good. And I'm hoping that people that maybe read this article, if they've seen some of the ways that the metaverse can be a positive um, place that enables us to find deeper connection with other human beings. They can also think about the things we need to make sure, do to make sure that all human beings are able to have the connection and opportunities equally as we move into increasingly immersive and online worlds. All right. Well, Joan, thanks for your time. You can check out her full story on CNET.com. If you have any questions, ping me on Twitter at Roger W. Chang. And if you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For the Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.